Theology. This is lesson six, and we're calling this one Signs of the Times and the End of the Age. This is kind of one of the more scary of our lessons, but I like to quote Dr. Hilton Sutton. He said that uh, God's book is a book of hope. There's some bad stuff that happens in there, but the Bible's a book of hope, and uh, God's not going to end this thing for the church with a nightmare, so we shouldn't be terrified of this. Uh, all, the, all the references in the Bible to judgment coming upon the wicked the, in the Bible, the righteous are always delivered from it. They never have to go through the hell that the heathen do if the righteous want to walk with God and obey God. Like Noah, he built an ark, he escaped the judgment. Lot, he obeyed God, he escaped the judgment. And if us, if we'll obey God, we can escape the judgment. But this lesson we want to look at, uh, of all the perhaps timelines that there is to be looked at in eschatology, what we're going to look at here, this is Matthew 24. This is the most difficult for people to pinpoint. And I don't know if anybody agrees 100%, but I've come to an understanding that probably feels pretty good on the inside of me. So this way we're going to teach it and see if it doesn't seem right to you. Let's just review real quick. Uh, before we get into this, remember Daniel's 70 weeks. Well, that was our second lesson. Daniel's 70 weeks. The Lord, uh, well, a, the angel Gabriel appeared to Daniel and said, 70 weeks are appointed unto thy people and into thy holy city. And he goes on to say, basically, after 69 weeks, Messiah the prince will be cut off. And then after that, uh, shall the prince of the people that come will come in and they'll make a covenant with your people. And then after the third and a half week, uh, he'll, he'll ransack everything and it'll all fall apart. Well, we've been looking at how 69 weeks of Daniel's time has been fulfilled. That leaves one week. We understand that one week to be the tribulation that has yet to happen. And so what we've been looking at in between there is what, why was there a pause, 69 to 70 weeks? We understand and have proved very thoroughly from the scriptures the church was inserted. And it was called a mystery, which is why nobody saw it. Not even the angels saw it. And we proved that very thoroughly in two, uh, two lessons. And then we had a lesson on the rapture. And that brings us up to this. How do we know when this is all going to fall apart? When's the end of the age? And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. Matthew 24 and a little bit of Luke 21. These are very famous passages. They're called the Mount Olivet Discourse because this, this is what Jesus said on the Mount of Olives to the disciples after they asked him some questions. So let's look at our curriculum here. And remember, if you have any questions, write them down or put them in the bucket or email them to me or text them to me. Probably the next lesson, and like I said, I'm still writing this as we go because I'm sorting it all out. There's probably a little bit more to be said about the rapture, and we'll cover that. One of the questions from last week, which was a really good question uh, in talking about the rapture, was uh, do you think Christians who, and I think he answered his own question. He said, do you think Christians that see the rapture happen but are not prepared to go, will they have a chance or a choice to make? And then he interrupted himself and said, well, if it's in a twinkling of an eye, that doesn't give you an opportunity to make a decision. The Greek says an atom of time. That's when you're going to be raptured. I think if you're on the, if you're on the fence that uh, 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 you're not going to have time. It's, it's going to be instantaneous, which kind of motivates my heart to say, Lord, I want to obey you in everything. I don't even want to think twice about it. I just, obedience ought to just be primary nature. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. So just to throw that out there, uh, let's look at our curriculum here. This may be one of the most enlightening lessons of this study due to the active fulfillment of Bible prophecy before our very eyes. 
Never forget that the Bible is a book of hope and the study of these topics should bring hope and not fear. Let us look at the signs of the times. Now, this is going to get maybe a little discouraging as we start to look into this, uh, but this is part of the prophecy we're seeing before our very eyes. My, the thing I've been able to do in writing these lessons is anything present and past, I can write with 100% confidence and, and just conviction. The stuff that's often future tense, I'm a little shaky on. I think anybody with half a sense about them would be a little shaky about them because they haven't happened yet. And that's kind of the thing. We don't, we're not going to get in fights over eschatology and what's going to happen. Now, we will fight over what has happened because you can't argue over it. Jesus did come. He did die. You should live clean. You should go to church. We'll fight over that. But future tense stuff, hey, if you want to believe something weird and ding-dong, go, go, go ring the ding-dong. Matthew 24, 3 through 14, this is what's called the Olivet Discourse. That's where Jesus has a discussion on the Mount of Olives with his disciples, and he's answering three questions. In this very famous Bible prophecy chapter, Jesus spends his entire discourse answering three questions put forth by his disciples. These three questions are this. When shall these things be fulfilled? Uh, and that they were asking at that moment, they were bragging on the temple. They said, Lord, look at how beautiful the temple is. Of course, they were just talking about Zerubbabel's temple. It wasn't even Solomon's temple. All those that came back out of the Exodus, excuse me, out of the uh, Babylonian captivity, who remembered the former glory of Solomon's temple, when they got back with Ezra and Nehemiah and they saw Zerubbabel's temple that he rebuilt 70 years after it was destroyed, they were disappointed. They said, this thing is nothing like it should be. It's smaller. It's not as majestic. They were irritated. But a couple, really 450 years later, they still think it's the greatest thing that ever happened. And so they're kind of bragging about dumb stuff. It kind of shows you the ignorance of a believer or a disciple of Jesus. You're sitting there walking with the king of kings and you're bragging about a building. Look at how beautiful these stones are. You've got the bread of life right there walking with you and you've become so common. Look at how big these stones are, Lord Jesus which is what you find in the beginning of Matthew 24. They were bragging about how large the stones were and how pretty the temple was. Those who saw Solomon said, this temple's pathetic. These guys didn't know any better. They've got the tabernacle in their midst. And they're bragging about a man-made temple. We still do the same thing. I go to this church. I kind of have a, maybe a selfish pride about being a storefront church. I may have to get my heart right. I like to brag that we're a storefront because we were kind of looked down for so long about being a storefront. But I say, hey, we're not building a mausoleum here. Mausoleums have marble and they're big and they're fancy. We're building a living building here, whether it's 100 years old or 200 years old. I went to a church service that we did missions work one time in a house in Poland that was uh, 400 years old. No, maybe the house was 250 years old. We drove past a house that was 400. And I remember thinking, this house is older than my nation. <laughs> and God was still moving in the midst of those people. So we don't get caught up with the natural. We need to stay caught up with the Spirit of God. So the first question they ask, and Matthew 24 does not reveal the answer to it, but Luke's Gospel 21 does. But the first question, Jesus says, take a good look because there will not be one stone left unturned here. Every stone you see will be destroyed. That was kind of slapping them in the face. But that's what Jesus said. This, they said, when shall this be done? Referring to the destruction of the temple, Jesus answered it in Luke 21, 20 through 24, and it was fulfilled in 70 AD. That's when Rome sacked Jerusalem. Jerusalem was a stubborn lot. They, they, they didn't like anybody telling them what to do. Not God, not Caesar, not nobody. And uh, I, I believe it was Emperor Titus 
uh, and his legion, they were surrounding Jerusalem and they didn't want to burn the city, but they believe it was actually, historians believe it was some of the priests that set things on fire just to kind of thumb their nose at Rome. And with that, then everybody just went crazy and they just sacked it to nothing. And so the scripture was fulfilled about 30 years after, or 35 years after Jesus was saying this. The second question they ask, what shall be the sign of thy coming? The third question is, what shall be the end, the sign of the end of the world or the period of time? The world doesn't mean planet Earth. It means this period of time or this age. Now, keep in mind, they were looking for the millennial reign of Christ, but they didn't know when it was going to come. They were looking for Jesus to reign in all of his splendor and glory, and uh, they didn't know when it was to come. So these are really the two questions that get answered in Matthew 24. So the big controversy or argument has been, is Matthew 24 for the church or is Matthew 24 Jewish time? That's the big debate. Can we look for these now or once we're gone, does this stuff come to pass? Now, I would present to you that since there's really only seven years difference between the rapture of the church and the second coming of Jesus, well, these things have to ramp up. It's not like they're going to just all of a sudden start seven years before Jesus comes back. In fact, as we're going to see with this lesson, these things have been happening ever since Jesus said they would. And so the biggest controversy about Matthew 24 is who does it apply to? Does it apply to the church age? Does it apply just to the Jews? Does it apply to the Jewish age? What are we looking at here? Below are the signs preceding the coming of the Lord, not the rapture, but the second coming. Now, if you remember, the rapture and the second coming are two different events. In the rapture, Jesus Christ does not touch planet Earth. He calls us up. But in the second coming, he comes and steps down on the Mount of Olives and splits the mountain in half. That's not going to happen with us on planet Earth. He's going to call us up to himself. Then we're going to come back with him. So these are the signs that precede the coming of the Lord, not the rapture, but the second coming. However, since the rapture precedes the second coming by only seven years, we can use these events to help us recognize the season we live in. Just as the spirit of Antichrist is already at work in the earth, though the Antichrist has not yet manifested, these signs are already working in the earth as the last week of Daniel's prophecy comes to fruition. All right. The following are what Jesus called the beginning of sorrows or early labor pains. These are literally the contractions of the end of the age. That's how we can make this fit the church age in that when a woman is pregnant, she can have contractions months in advance. She can have one tightening. Ooh, honey, you okay? Yeah. But as she gets closer to delivery, they start to get more intense and right up until official labor, then they start coming every five minutes and they are intense and it becomes a muscle contraction. That's what a contraction is, is a muscles tightening to push the baby out. And so it's very, we can understand how even though we are not going to be here for the tribulation, how we can start to see these contractions now. Uh, and like with, of course, we just had Lydia just a few months ago. So I'm, this is very fresh on my mind. And some women can even have contractions for several months in advance, maybe one a week, maybe one every two weeks. And it's just, it just catches them. But of course, right before that baby comes, it just, it gets more and more intense and more quickly and more quickly. What we've seen for the last 2000 years are these pangs every few years, every few decades. But now we're starting to see this thing intensify and the frequency of it increase. I'm fully convicted in my heart that even the Muslim, the Arab Spring a year and a half ago, you guys remember that, all the uprisings in Muslim world? And it, it did something in the world system. I'm convinced that was a birth pang. 
It was a contraction, getting things ready for the end of the age. Because you had all these Muslim nations overthrow their dictatorships, which our nation was happy to have in place because it kept the weirdos from going weird. But you throw a democracy in there and now the general people who are all demonized and not the lustful, sex-driven, money-driven dictator who we can negotiate with weapons and gold and drugs and keep them at bay. Now the people have a say. And when the people are demonized by the spirit of Islam, they can just vote for whatever they want to. You saw this amazing move across that whole region, and I'm convinced it was a, a birth pang because at that point, everybody was saying, Jesus is coming anytime, Jesus is coming anytime, Jesus is coming anytime. Just like as a woman, when she has a, a contraction, oh, the baby's coming, oh, 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 no, I feel okay now. Oh, wait, no, no, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. And then she might not have contractions for three more weeks and totally forget she's even pregnant. Not likely, but, you know. <laughs> This is what Jesus said. These are the beginning of sorrows. That expression in the Hebrew and the Greek language is birth pangs, contractions. These what we're about to look at, the signs of the times, they're nothing but contractions that's going to produce the end of the age. It's going to give birth to the last week of Daniel's time. So let's look. If you read through Matthew 24, I, I discuss these in the order that he does, that the Lord Jesus does. So we're just going to go with them one topic at a time. The first thing Jesus said would be a beginning of sorrows or a sign of the time are deceivers. The greatest warning issued by Jesus in response to these questions was, be not deceived. That's a strong, strong admonition. This warning is proffered three times in Matthew 24. Some would say tw uh, five times because there's five verses, but I lump two of them together so I get three. Uh, do not be deceived. Jesus warns three times in Matthew 24. Jesus emphasized this point more than any other point. This must be the greatest sign of the last, of the last days, a proliferation of deception. My goodness, we, we see that. Folks going over here, folks going over there. Deception is not just the government lying to you or your spouse lying to you. Deception is you thinking you can find hope in money. Deception is you thinking you can find joy in a handbag. Deception is you thinking you can find peace of mind in a bottle. That's deception too. So that's one aspect of it, but specifically Jesus talked about false teachers. As we approach the end of the time, the spirit of Antichrist will be stronger and stronger because he's wanting to be uh, birthed. He's already here, but he's moving more readily. We have a lesson we're going to cover uh, either next week or in the next two or three on the spirit of Antichrist. That spirit of Antichrist is moving ever more rapidly, moving upon people and deceiving people. And as we've seen even in some of our Sunday night services and our teachings on the last day's apostasy, it's going to come through church leadership and those that yield themselves to this spirit of Antichrist. Don't worry, when we cover the spirit of Antichrist, we have two lessons on it. You're going to see how you're really influenced by the spirit of Antichrist. And it's going to put uh, some humility in you. Because really, blatant disobedience to Jesus Christ makes you anti-Christ. That's the spirit of the world moving on you. We have to resist that spirit. Never before have so many voices in the earth spoken so little truth. My goodness, we have the internet, we have blogs, we have media, we have iPods, podcasts, movie, entertainment, television, articles, uh, magazines, newspapers. So many voices, so little that matters nothing. Guard your heart and stay in the Bible. I would tell you that this is a, this is a, um, uh, a sign of the time that you can easily protect yourself against. 
Stay in the Bible. Keep a sane mind. Keep a sound mind. Guard your mind. Start, stay in the Bible. Deceivers may be the greatest enemy of the church. This will be covered more in another lesson. Uh, in fact, even uh, the Gospels say that in the last days there will be a strong delusion, so much, so strong that if it were possible, even the very elect would be deceived. Well, I hate to say, Jesus, I'm watching the very elect be deceived. Yeah. We're watching it. We're watching folks follow heretics and, and, and weirdos with bad doctrine. Our next uh, very famous uh, that we quote a lot just in preaching, uh, sign of the time is wars and rumors of wars. I'm a young man. I'm 35. It seems like we've been in the Middle East ever since I was in high school. In fact, I've got a whole deck of Persian Gulf War trading cards. I got about Scud missiles, A-10 warthogs. I know all the military stuff because as a 12 and 13 and 14, I watched Wolf Blitzer unfold the Persian Gulf War before my very eyes when I lived in Seattle in the early 90s. And then, of course, we have Iraq and Afghanistan. Do you realize we've been over there for almost 10 years now? 2003 will be 10 years we've been in Iraq. Wars and rumors of wars. Those of you that are older, you lived through the Vietnam War. Then there was Grenada. Then there was everything Reagan did. It's just constant. We're always deployed, always rattling sabers at somebody who wants to get stupid. And then you have Israel. They don't rattle sabers. They just send in gunships and they just blow stuff up and say, you want to try that again? Palestinians throw a rock. They throw a missile. (laughs) God bless Israel. Jesus warned there would be wars and rumors of wars. Here's where this thing gets a little bit maybe sober in our lesson. In the last 2,000 years, there have been over 25 notable wars. That doesn't sound like much. Notable, as in it involved masses of people. I would not call Iraq a notable war. I would maybe call Vietnam notable. I would call World War II one of the most notable. But only 25 notable wars. Most of them you haven't even heard of. Over 390 million people have been killed in those wars in 2,000 years. So just shy of 400 million people have died in war. That's casualties of war. That's collateral damage on top of soldiers. We know in uh, World War II, you had tens of millions of just Russians that died in World War II. We lost over half, it was half a million or so. We, we anticipated if we invaded Japan, we would lose just half a million soldiers just in the invasion of Japan. And that's why the president said, well, drop a bomb or two, see what that does. And that caused them to quit. Daniel prophesied wars would continue until the end of time. Daniel 26, 9, 26 in the NIV. So we cannot stop. That's why I think the whole hippie thing is a total farce. And they show how ignorant and just uneducated they really are. Jesus Christ, through his prophet Daniel, said wars will continue until the end. You can go ahead and drop the peace sign all you want. What, what? You're not going to stop wars. Because there's a devil that hates mankind and he will always provoke somebody to go to war. You can't stop this thing. And we know from the Bible that even the total loss of life so far in the last 2,000 years will not even be a drop in the bucket to the amount of lives that will be lost during the tribulation war. Jesus promised that these things must be no sense in marching against them. So, hey, we're not even going to bother to march against these things. Pray for our soldiers 
Plus, you have a couple psalms. One of my favorites is, Blessed be the Lord God that teaches my hands to make war and my fingers to fight. There was this gung-ho gun nut who would always say that to me, and he'd say, right there, my fingers know how to fight. He'd make pull the trigger kind of thing. (laughs) I remember being in Seattle in the 90s, and I would watch Yo! MTV raps because I am half black. You guys didn't know that, but I am half black. You knew that. But uh, Ed Lover and Dr. Dre would always say peace in the Middle East because that was during the Persian Gulf War. They close out Yo! MTV raps every, co- every day right after school. Yo, peace in the Middle East. You ain't going to get no peace in the Middle East. That was 20-something years ago. We're still there killing people, and they're killing us. <laughs> Let's see what else we have here. We're just looking at signs of the times. We're, we're living these things out. We have deceivers in spades. 390 million people dead. That's a conservative estimate in the last 2,000 years. Ethnic uprisings. This is where Matthew says, nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Nation against nation in the Greek is ethnos. It doesn't mean a, a civilization like America versus Mexico. It means ethnic group against ethnic group. That's racial stuff. That's ethnic cleansing. So ethnic uprisings. Not only will nation rise against nation, but also people group against people group. The smaller the world has become, the more people of different races have settled in foreign countries producing xenophobia. That's just the fear of strangers. And stirring up racial tensions. Though we are called the great melting pot, even our own country is unable to move past racial divisions. The reason for it is that racism is a spirit. Is that right? Racism is a spirit. As I've shared with you, when I met with Pastor David Summerall in uh, Dr. Summerall's office eight years ago, seven years ago now, about to go to the Philippines, he was from Mississippi. He's been in the Philippines 40 years now. He's more Filipino than he is American. He said, I'm from Mississippi, son. He said, you're from Louisiana. He said, I understand black, white, south race relations. He said, what we have in Asia makes that stuff look like kids play. He said, you've never seen race relations and racism till you get into a room in Asia with a Chinaman, a Filipino, and a Japanese man. The three of those will hate each other with all their heart and want to kill each other. And I remember laughing and saying, most of us think they all look the same, but they can sit in a room. This all goes back to World War II and the rape of Nanking and everything the Japanese did and all that junk, if you've ever studied that in world history. They hate each other with the passion. They can look at each other and say, you're not Chinese, you're Filipino. And you're not Chinese, you're Japanese. And the Japanese says, you're a Chinaman and you're a Filipino and we used to run you both. And there's a racism there. But it's a spirit. It is a demon spirit. And it moves upon people and affects their philosophies. And it produces ethnic uprisings and ethnic cleansings. We're all very familiar with that term. Most of what goes on in Africa is ethnic. Uh, most of what's gone on even the last... 30 years in Africa for mass extinction or genocide has been one tribe of blacks wiping out another tribe of blacks. And we can't tell the difference. And an African nation next door couldn't tell the difference. But it's the Lesotho's versus the Hutus. I'm not making that up. Those are some of the tribes. And they just kill each other as ethnic stuff. That's what Jesus prophesied. Since the 15th century... Ethnic uprisings have produced great seasons of genocide. Approximately 26 million people have been killed because of genocide in the last 600 years. So that's a big number too. We might also include in this prophecy eugenics. If you know what eugenics is, there isn't, you're about to learn just briefly. 
this is the science of basically ethnic cleansing, the science of improving a human population by controlled breeding. But in practice, it is forced sterilization and abortion. Our nation has actively done it since the 60s. We have actively, basically, this is kind of a sad thing about America. Since, since I think it was Nixon or LBJ, we would tell countries like India or China, we'll give them finances if they'll enact our policy of eugenics because there's no sense giving money to people who can't control their birth rate. And so China's the most notable. In the last 50 years, it's estimated they have forced sterilized or forced over 300 million abortions. That's eugenics. Improving a population by controlled breeding. It's pretty wild. Not to mention modern day Bosnia and the wiping out of the, of the minority Muslims and every place you go. This is what Jesus said would have to happen. Ethnic group rising against ethnic group. So you think about that, 300 million just in China alone, either combination forced sterilization where they take a young woman in, they force her to be sterilized, or they take a boy in, they force him to be neutered, or forced abortions. North Korea, nobody knows the statistics because you can't get in and out of there, but there's all sorts of stories of pregnant women being bayoneted in the belly just to kill the, the fetus. That's pretty common in communist North Korea. For some reason, our stupid politicians think communism is the end-all, answer-all. Uh, that is stupidity because communism has never worked in the last hundred years anywhere. It only puts people in poverty. In fact, even in the 80s, a report came out that Russia, communist Russia, in 1985 was producing less corn and wheat in their nation than the czars did a hundred years earlier. <laughs> the czars is like a king. is what the Russian kings were called. They took it from the word Caesar. It was just kind of a Russian form of Caesar or czar. China has forced over 300 million abortions and sterilizations in the last 50 years alone. America began funding eugenics around the world in the 1960s. They tactfully, that might be us, we tactfully call it population control and save the planet. Because you know the earth can only hold so many people. Yeah. I don't know. We fly a lot. I see a lot of empty space. You fly overseas, you see even more empty space. Yeah. It all comes back to the devil wanting to wipe out mankind. And he talks into a couple stupid professors that write information. And because the professor has a Ph.D., he must know it all. And he gets before a Congress or a Senate. And that deceiving spirit produces weirdness in two or three gentlemen who are on a controlling committee. And all of a sudden we're affecting world populations through forced eugenics. Famines. We're familiar with famines. I grew up in the 80s. We are the world. We are the people. Come on, let's make a better place. Let's start giving. We made no dent in the famines of Ethiopia and Eastern Africa as a child, but everybody, all the freaks in Hollywood and singing, they got to have a video and triple platinum album, and it wasn't even a good song. Gets in your head like a weevil or a burr and headworm or something. Most of those folks came out as pedophiles, homosexuals, deviants, that they're dead on drugs, one, and come on, let's make a better place, so let's start giving. <laughs> the occurrence of famines over the past 2,000 years have increased exponentially, as have the death tolls. There have been over 140 major famines over the last 2,000 years, claiming over an estimated 143 million lives. That's a lot of lives starving to death. 
we all have pictures of the, in our mind of the, the 80s with Ethiopia was the big one, little children with flies in their eyes and, and all that. And none of that ever worked because you couldn't get past the dictatorial governments of those nations. It all comes back to governments. Pestilence. A more familiar term for pestilence in our day is plague or epidemic. You read Psalm 91, the noisome pestilence. Well, you think that's like some kind of bug pesting you. But a pestilence is really just an epidemic or a plague. We have now been familiarized with the term pandemic. That means an epidemic, but worldwide. Pan means world or all-inclusive, like Pangea or whatever. We're familiar with pandemic, and I, I think it's kind of funny because even since I've been pastor, they were worried about the bird flu or the swine flu. And uh, even I work out at the fit. I noticed it over there. They started putting up hand sanitizers everywhere. Stop bird flu or whatever it was, swine flu, some, some animal that you eat for breakfast. They had a flu, and apparently we need to wash our hands before we lifted weights, and I never used it. I just did it just to stand in faith. I'm not doing that. I'm not getting a bird flu or a swine flu. I eat that stuff. I don't get it. They said that could be a pandemic and it could spread worldwide. And you you'd have video footage of people coming off of airplanes with masks on. And it just is what it is. In the last 2000 years, there have been over 200 major epidemics brought on by diseases such as smallpox, influenza, bubonic plague, typhus, measles, yellow fever, dengue fever, cholera, malaria, polio, HIV, AIDS, and mumps. The estimated worldwide death toll for these combined epidemics is over 240 million people or nearly a quarter billion deaths due to epidemics. Do you see the numbers going up? And Jesus said these things must be. And they're only going to increase. This right here ought to just put some, some holy reverence in you to walk with God. It's not a time to skip church. It's not a time to give in to the deception of entertainment or Hollywood or chasing a day on the boat on the lake. Nothing wrong with that. But when you should be in church, be in church. This stuff is only going to get worse. Jesus promised this would happen 2,000 years before these numbers were even tallied. I think he knew what he was talking about. Pestilences. Now, of course, as a geologist, my favorite out of all of them is earthquakes. I spent a lot of time on USGS's website collecting data for this section. This may be the most subtle and lethal of all the signs prophesied due to its nature. So how do earthquakes differ? Well, pretty cool. I'm glad you asked. The word will make you deception proof so you can stand against deceivers. Wars don't happen overnight and can be fled. Just leave. In fact, Brother Sumrall told a story. He was in Brazil back in the 50s and 60s and he ran into a village of folks from uh, the Baltic states of, of Europe. And, and the whole community was there. They were just this pocket community. He said, and they were all spirit-filled. And I don't know if they were from Estonia or Latvia. Lithuania. Lithuania. They were from Lithuania up there. Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia up there in the Baltic right next to Russia. He said, what are you doing here? They said, in our services before World War II, prophecies began to go forth that said, a dictator will arise and massacre the continent. Flee. And this whole community just uprooted by the word of, knowledge, word of wisdom and went to Brazil, took the whole community, anybody that was Pentecostal, spirit-filled or wanted to go along, and they just went and relocated into the heart of Brazil and lived there 20, 30 years later because the word of the Lord came unto them and said, basically, World War II is about to happen. Run now. What a word of wisdom to keep that pocket of believers safe. 
Dr. Summerall said, though, that when he was in Germany in 1938, prior to World War II, the churches were being suckered into and caught up with that spirit that Hitler was producing. And many of them were even siding with Hitler. And even Hitler himself said, the preachers will soon preach our religion for they will, uh, he said, they were, basically their God is their money. Hitler recognized that even the churches were weak in his day. So my point is, uh, wars can be fled from. And that little pocket community, imagine taking a community of a thousand people, I don't know how many it was, but fleeing all the way across an ocean to a new country by the word of the Lord. You can flee from a, a war. They don't pop up overnight. The, the, the drumbeat, they call it the, the drumbeat of war begins to pound louder. You can run away. They did it during the Civil War. They fled. Ethnic uprisings can also be fled. Just move away. Famines don't happen overnight and can be fled. My family came here because of the potato famine. That's why we have so many, yeah, go, go Scotland, go Ireland. <laughs> Leave your kilts at the bay. We don't want, <laughs> this is America, we wear pants. Plagues can be vaccinated against. Most of those that we see have a vaccination anymore. Polio, smallpox, measles, mumps. Uh, only one that we're still working on is HIV. Earthquakes, on the contrary, happen suddenly. Without warning, without prevention, instantly destroying cities and even nations. Now, the sad thing is uh, we end up building all of our major cities on the ocean (laughs) or along bodies of water for commerce. And as a geologist, I know that's the worst place to build because your soils are all sandy. Even Jesus had some geology experience. Of course, he invented all of it. He said, nobody builds on the sand. We do. (laughs) Now, we have some pretty cool foundational techniques, but they don't always last. These earthquakes happen suddenly, instantly, without warning. There's no prediction. Even the one that just happened a year and a half ago in in, uh, Japan, no warning. They have tremors every day. You grow numb to it. No big deal. These things happen instantly, and earthquakes take more lives in less time than any other event prophesied about in Matthew 24. Hitler killed over 6 million Jews. They estimated maybe as many as 10 or 12 million when you include homosexuals, mentally handicapped, gypsies, all the people he didn't like. He gassed them, burned them, torched them, shot them, buried them alive. That didn't happen overnight. It took a couple years and the world turned a blind eye. But an earthquake can almost do that kind of damage in a moment. So, for example, I just did some research. The 2010 Haiti earthquake, one of the biggest in modern times, according to official estimates, killed 316,000 people. One earthquake on one little tiny island killed over a quarter million people. Some of those were instant. Some of those died as they starved or bled out from internal bleedings by being crushed or through the epidemics that followed afterwards. 300,000 injured, 1.3 million displaced. All of that in an instant of time. Those are war statistics that take months to develop. Compared to 1945 Nagasaki and Hiroshima, approximately 200,000 killed by two bombs that were six days apart. So you drop one bomb and say, will you retire, will you give? Nope, drop another one. 200,000 killed with only half of those killed instantaneously. The others dying in the following weeks and months from radiation poisoning and other diseases and complications. Luke's gospel calls them great earthquakes. Now I would point out that Jesus never prophesied that they would increase, but they have. 
He just said they would be great earthquakes in diverse places. And that is certainly one thing seismologists are seeing, that earthquakes are happening in places they never thought they would happen. And you can even get on USGS and pull up maps to see epicenters and the intensity based on epicenters. And you'll see them in the middle of countries where you think there's one in the middle of a country. What what gives? And really, when you look at the seismological map, you see that there's no place on Earth safe. Period. Furthermore, I just pulled a research paper from the the late mid-90s. It's already out of date. The numbers are already not high enough. They expect that deaths, worldwide deaths from earthquakes, will increase because, ah, I should have written the numbers down. They estimate by 2050, 5.5 billion people will live in cities. And that's where earthquakes do the most damage because that's where your high rises are. That's your population density. They're always on coastlines or next to bodies of water. Earthquakes are devastating because they destroy things that kill people. The earthquake itself doesn't kill anybody. You just ride the thing out. Go get in a ditch or something, hoping to fit, unless a fissure opens up and you pull a core and go to hell alive or something. Well, how they kill people is by crushing them or electrocuting them or, or fires that get started or explosions from the infrastructure being destroyed. But this paper, this paper estimated through UN and NATO sources that by 2050, 5.5 billion people would live in cities, which would intensify the damage a earthquake can do. So we have to be mindful of these things. Jesus didn't say there would be an increase in earthquakes. He said that there would be great earthquakes in diverse places. Earthquakes have killed over 2.3 million people in the last hundred years. It's a lot of people just in the last hundred years. As cities increase, we'll see more damage due to that. Now, let me, let me throw this out there. I didn't, didn't write it down in your curriculum because it'll change as the years go by. But there have been an increase in catastrophic earthquakes in the last 30 years. From 1980 to 89, earthquakes that were a six-plus magnitude on the Richter scale and greater were about 1,000. About 1,000 or 1,040 earthquakes of six-plus. A six-plus earthquake is a city shaker. That's bad stuff. From 90 to 99, it was about 1,400. And from 2000 to 2009, it was 1,600. So you see the steady increase of city-shaking earthquakes. What's worse than that is eight-plus earthquakes. These are the city killers. This is what did the tsunami. This is what did Haiti, eight-plus, eight to 9.9. From 80 to 89, there are only four. In 10 years, there are only four eight-plus earthquakes. From 90 to 99, there were six eight-plus earthquakes. These are the bad ones. Even the one in California during the the World Series back in 91 or 92, that was only a seven. And remember we saw the things, the the double-decker freeways crush? That was just a seven. So only six from 90 to 99 in the world of eight-plus. In the last 10 years, there have been 13. So we jumped from six to 13. The last... 10 years, we've had 13. And that doesn't even account for the ones in the last two years. That's just uh, 2000 to 2009. So this thing is going to increase. And that's what Jesus said we could expect. Iniquity shall abound. We need to get going here. Lawlessness, wickedness, and contempt for order will abound right before Jesus Christ comes. I think we're living that up pretty good right now. This is evident today when peaceful demonstrations turn to riots in anarchy. Some folks show up for those riots just to burn a trash can and throw a rock at a police officer on a horse. 
Not only do prisons overflow with those who have been caught, but also the hearts of many who have now who have not been arrested overflow with lawlessness. We have even coined the phrase, rules were made to be broken. If you say that, your heart abounds with lawlessness. Well, you know, rules were made to be broken. You're fulfilling end time prophecy. That's the spirit of lawlessness. We see it in our children. We see it in our high schools. We see it in our colleges. We see it on our jobs. We see it in the government. Even the government doesn't abide by its own rules that they brag about making. The love of many shall grow cold. This was probably the most eye-opening for me as I studied this out and wrote this. This is an unnerving prophecy because the Greek word for love in this verse is agape. That should terrify you. Why? Only a Christian can have agape working in their heart. Jesus is promising us that many Christians will grow cold in their God kind of love. To wax cold in this verse is the Greek word psycho. Chew on that for a minute. Psycho. It means to cool by blowing upon. The spirit of the world will successfully blow upon many Christians to cool them off. A psycho is someone who can coolly cut people out of their life like a murderer. That's why they call him a psychopathic killer. He's cold to what he has done. His heart feels nothing. You have many business people that are psychos. They can rip people off. They feel nothing. You have politicians that are psychos. They can do people wrong and feel nothing. You have many preachers that are psychos. They can rip the church off and feel nothing. They're cold. We want to keep our heart hot so that the littlest thing pricks our conscience. A psycho is someone who can coolly cut people out of their life and not care. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. A lack of love is tied directly to lawlessness. When the love of God has grown cold in your heart, it'll be easy to be lawless. We could say this. In the last days, the spirit of Antichrist and lawlessness will turn many Christians into psychos. I'm watching it and I pastor this church. I, I think, boy, they've gone psycho. And we've all used that expression. It means to grow cold. This is certainly a symptom of apostasy, a great falling away. Daniel's signs, uh, this is Daniel 12, 4. Daniel in his vision also gives two more signs of the ends of the time or the ends of uh, the times of the end. Running to and fro. He said in the last days, people would run to and fro. Uh, many shall run to and fro. Through technology and invention, the world has gotten smaller. Every day, approximately two million people fly in airplanes in the U.S. alone. It's a lot of people to be in the sky every day. 220 million people drive cars in the U.S. every day. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of folks going to and fro. Back in those days, if you study the life of Samson, he never left but a five-mile radius of his house. You study the cities he was in, Timnah, Jephthah. He was just about a five-mile radius of himself. That's it. Now, Josh Barclay told me, he said, I travel a quarter million miles a year. It's a lot of miles. And you got folks that do more than that. Of course, the rest of us don't do quarter million, but that's Josh's testimony. Knowledge shall abound. In our day, knowledge increases so fast it is nearly impossible to track. We might say it is impossible to track. In computer technology alone, a law has been developed called Moore's Law. This law states that technology doubles every 24 months. This has been true for the last 50 years. Technology doubles every 24 months. It's a scientific law. The world's knowledge is at our fingertips and even our pocket and in a, even in our pocket with smartphones. There's nothing you can't pull up on your smartphone. Nothing. 
I can now pull up any Greek word I want to during praise and worship to preach from. And the Lord speaks to me. I don't have to go send somebody to get my Bible. I just pull my iPhone out, go on Blue Letter Bible, pull the verse up, find the Greek, find the derivative, find the conjugate. There we go. I got my message. Thank you, Lord. Why didn't you tell me that last night? I'm glad I got an iPhone. <laughs> Over 500,000 new books are published every year. It has also been estimated that every minute scientists add 2,000 pages of new material to man's knowledge base. All this knowledge and no peace, joy, or hope. Certainly, we are living in the last of the last days. Now, does this apply to us or is this Jewish time? Look what Jesus said in Luke 21. And when these things begin to come to pass, I think they've already begun. When you add up all those sums of, of deaths, you reach nearly a billion people in deaths. You have to add the 300 million of eugenics in China to hit a billion. Other than that, it's about 700 million. I think we can safely say these things have begun, if they aren't pretty mainstream, to come to pass. He said, then look up and lift up your heads for your redemption draweth nigh. I don't know if we can fulfill these anymore except to increase the numbers on the, the casualty list. Knowledge will only increase. We'll only travel even more. The DOTs are always building more highways, more bridges, more ferries, more jets, more boats. The world's becoming smaller. Obviously, we can increase more, but I don't know how. At one point, I heard an article about two years ago, and I'll close with this on knowledge. They said at the rate that the memory chips are going on your phone or your iPod, that within a few years, you won't just be able to have your entire music library on your phone. You'll be able to have every song ever written on your phone. That's the data cap capability they're pushing towards. Not just your personal record collection, but every record ever cut will be able to fit in the palm of your hand due to data, right? My phone is 16 gigs. You can get a 32 gig. That's nothing. I mean, pretty soon you'll have a terabyte in your hand. Just in the last 10 years, a terabyte would used to cost you $1,000. Now you can get it in the palm of your hand. My, my phone now is it's four times larger in its memory capacity than my first laptop when I worked for an international engineering firm. And it's about a thousand times faster in every capacity. My phone does high def. My first computer couldn't spell high def. I called it the IBM stink pad because I just wanted to beat the thing up. But I watched the World Trade Center come down live streaming on that thing. That was just 10 years ago. So this thing, these are the signs of the times. Uh, you know, whether they, Matthew 24 is for the Jews or for us, they have begun. The fact that I can spend weeks researching all those numbers and pull them together for you, it has begun and it's only going to get worse. We are certainly living in the last days. We ought to be ready for it. So I appreciate it. Father, bless these. I thank you for this study. Father, uh, this was a little bit more maybe historical and maybe a little bit more socioeconomic, maybe a little bit more political than the other messages, but we just wanted to look at the fulfillment of prophecy in our own life. Father, help us to take these hours serious. Bless these folks for coming out and having a heart for eschatology. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys. Appreciate you.